Welcome to Connected with Emily Obey. I'm your host. This is a podcast dedicated to having conversations that matter to help us feel connected to ourselves, to each other, and to the world we live in. You'll most likely never find me on a volleyball court because I was once kicked out of a grade nine gym class for being so bad at it, the teacher thought I was fully messing with him. You will, however, find me writing books, coaching people on how to have a successful online business through effective content marketing and copywriting, and helping people heal from adversity to live lives that truly feel good and make an impact in our society. Stick around, because I ask the questions we're all wanting to know the answers to. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Connected with Emily Obey. Today on the podcast, I have my dear friend, Desiree. We call her D-Master. Um, and she's here to talk with us about so many topics that I think are going to really resonate with you guys. We're going to get into nutrition. Des is a Kundalini teacher, and I know that you guys have a ton of questions about Kundalini and how it can help your nervous system. So we're literally sitting in Des's office meditation room together and we're recording in person, which is super special. So hi Des. Hello. <laughs> We've been together all night and now we're coming together <laughs> for you guys. So Des, the first question that I ask everybody is when is the last time you felt truly connected? to something or someone that moved you? Hmm. I make a daily effort to have that experience, I think. So I would say today, because Greg and I had the opportunity, Greg, my husband, and I had the opportunity to get out last night for the first time together in months. Since before we had the puppy, because Greg had surgery just before the puppy. So, it's been months and months and months and having the experience of getting to sleep in together and just spend that time having a slow morning was mm. an experience of connection. Yeah. And then, I mean, like I said, I try to make this like a pretty daily thing. So take all of my interactions pretty seriously. So even just <laughs> getting to share a meal, that's always... Just right now. Just right now, yeah. <laughs> it was like so a meaningful moment of connection for me to be able to have the meal with you and Greg, uh, the breathing that we did right before mm-hmm. eating. I've actually never... I've done that with Greg. I've never had a friend over and just suggested... Mm-hmm we should breathe <laughs> before eating. Yeah. yeah. So for context, we literally took 10 deep breaths before eating. And um, we'll get into that more of the benefits mm-hmm. of breathing when eating. Um, I feel like you and I, does we have really deep conversations most of the time. Mm-hmm. Like we're not like, hi, how was the weather? <laughs> we're like, and this is what's wrong with the constructs of society. <laughs> And I would like to be validated in my opinions, mm-hmm. right? And this is what's wrong with the constructs of myself, right? Our own deeper issues. And- yeah, yeah. I feel like we have a really in-depth friendship that I really appreciate that we're cultivating even more. I feel like every week it just kind of adds on, and we get deeper into our friendship, which to me just feels really, really good. How does it feel to you? <laughs> 
It feels great. Yeah, it feels wonderful. I was actually just thinking about the first time that we went to Ripe together. Same here. <laughs> and I felt like it was a bit disconnected. Did you? It was a little it was. bit disconnected, but I think that because of a number of reasons, but we were just like trying to foster the connection. Actually, I was thinking about it that this was at the time that you and Samuel were not together. And then you guys got back together. Right. You left. And it was like, as soon as you guys broke up, I reconnected with you because you were posting about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I came and then it's fine. His name is X. (laughs) Uh, But so also keep in mind that me and Des right now are staring into each other's eyes while laying (laughs) like on a, on a yogic, would you call this a yogic block? A bolster. Uh, A bolster. Yes. (laughs) for our digestion um digestion so yeah and I came to your women's circle you messaged me you said I think maybe you should come to this I'm not sure if it would be too much and my friend Sophie who was like pivotal in those first days when I was back home was like we should go to this and I was like "Mm," like I'm not sure I'm down to talk about my feelings right now with a bunch of strangers but I went and I loved it and then we connected afterward and you were like reach out as much as you want I was like no problem (laughs) and here we are (laughs) and here we are and here we are lounging on bolsters yeah so I think it's really cool how you foster in-person connection with people specifically women so Des runs two women's circles one on the new moon and then one on the full moon here in our community where we live. And I think it's just so beautiful how you lead these circles because you stay in your facilitator role, but you also allow yourself to be seen as a woman and as a human who has her own process. And you kind of open up the stage for sharing by sharing yourself, which I always find so profound like there's nothing worse to me than a facilitator who wants you to open up but isn't willing to do the same um and I think it's particularly important that you're doing this work in the flesh and in community here um I want to hear more about why you came to do that obviously I've just kind of joined your movement in the past couple of months so I don't really know the whole backstory um I have pieces of it but I would love for you to kind of speak to why you wanted to start teaching in person and in groups and lead these kinds of women's circle. Tell us about you. <laughs> okay. So the women's circle um, on the full moon that, that I helped facilitate has been going on for three and a half years, I think. And it started with myself and three other women who kind of were sensing that we needed something in the community. Um, And we thought a women's circle would be it. We were having a lot of discussions around that necessity. And we all felt really comfortable in the leadership role um, in facilitating. So it started off as the four of us and we were doing it bi-weekly actually. And yeah, alternating. But it was a challenge for us all to make it to each other's um, groups. So the whole process has been kind of getting comfortable with um, 
sharing in the in the women's circle because we were missing out on each other's experiences and each other's sharing i think it was a, it was an experience for us all to be able to come into that role of also participating um, and through that participation i think we all had the opportunity to grow as facilitators so when I started off, it was not uncomfortable, but it was a real learning curve for me. I wanted personally um, to get involved outside of needing or seeing the need for it in the community because I miss out on that uh, sisterhood for my whole life, basically. Um, so I'd say in my early 20s, I really started to recognize that I was missing something. I, this is probably around the time that I got together with Greg and you and I have talked about it before that Greg is a really secure and grounded person. So it gave me the opportunity to kind of like open up and to start to work on myself. And this is also when I was doing a lot of Kundalini yoga. So I was like cracking open and I had gone through a lot of, um, issues, traumatic issues, I'd say in my teens and in my childhood. So I was really starting to open up to these things. And one of them was just this like crazy disconnection from my femininity that I was experiencing. Um, and I felt strongly that I needed to have that. So I don't have the best connection with my mother. We've talked about that. And out of that experience, I've really struggled to have a good connection with my sister. And I mean, when I really think about it in broader terms, probably a connection with many women in my life. When I was in my teens, I loved having lots of girlfriends and all that, that kind of thing. But my mind was more focused on relationships with younger guys. And it like screwed with me because that's where a lot of my trauma came from realistically. Um, and also the separation that happened because I didn't really like who I was when I was more focused on my relationships with males. Mm -hmm. I wasn't as, I didn't care as much about my relationship with women. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as important to me. So when I started to unearth this stuff in my early 20s, um, I, it was kind of like painful to see how I had been acting for a long time. To see that I... I wanted these certain things from other uh, females, like trust and connection, but I hadn't been that person for a long time. Mm. Yeah, so it became really apparent to me, especially um, as I started to work through some of that trauma of my earlier years. Yeah. 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 I, I felt really strongly that I didn't have a good sense of my femininity. And that's, I mean, it catalyzed a lot of change and growth and transformation in me because I saw what I was missing and I knew I needed to develop it. So in those years in my early 20s, I focused a lot on myself and healing and cultivating friendships. So a lot of the friendships that I have now are ones that I've been cultivating for the past 10 years or so um, and because it was all part of that time where I was growing into myself I saw the importance for those relationships and I've really nurtured them um, so I have 
this one girlfriend, Sarah, for example, who you've met. And she was someone who, when I met her, we clicked and we've just been like working to develop this. And she actually, I think, um, went through something similar a few years ago where she was starting to see the importance of these feminine relationships in her life. And since then, you know, she's, I think about her often when I think about how my relationships with, with women have grown because it's like this hallmark yeah relationship in my life where mm -hmm. we've grown together mm -hmm. and our connection is so special yeah so, um yeah so anyways the women's circle really was born for me out of that necessity to continue to cultivate meaningful relationships and in some ways I also feel like it's a way for me to apologize to the women that I wasn't there for when I was younger. Mm. And I think about that sometimes. I sometimes offer the class, the groups, mm -hmm. the circles to the women of my past. And also the, like, the woman that I used to be, the girl that I used to right. be. Yeah. I think about, I, like, I can't blame that girl. I grew up without a lot of guidance. So I'm not mad at my younger self for the way that I've behaved in the past. I really don't believe in that type of judgment or shame. So I've tried to cultivate compassion. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's what was like running through my mind as you're describing all of this. I'm wondering, how does one go from having no structure or guidance around fulfilling female relationships to knowing how to do it yeah right I mean it's definitely something that I'm thankful for that I had that sense of motivation I've always known that there was something wrong and honestly it was that separation from my family I think that gave me the space mm -hmm. I got into such a healthy and nourishing relationship where I was finally getting heard validated I was healing and I was also connecting really deeply to myself and the yoga practices mm -hmm. and in yoga especially in kundalini yoga it's all about like shakti the mm -hmm. feminine mm -hmm. force so I started really feeling that in myself. Mm -hmm. I was becoming more aware that I, I was this feminine power and I was seeing it everywhere else. I saw it in every other person that I was connecting with. And I was like, damn, I need to have more of this. Mm -hmm. I need to empower this in myself. I need to empower this in the people around me. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when you're missing that in your younger years from the people that are supposed to be those roles for you, you have to develop it yourself. And I was just fortunate enough to get into the right uh, practices at a young age that I was able to develop that for myself. Yeah. And it sounds like because you had a secure base in Greg, you had the possibility to feel the pain that was underneath there mm. um, and the longing and the grief thus prompting you on this quest honestly it sounds like mm -hmm. to find really meaningful fulfilling female relationships totally well because also greg is like the most non-judgmental person yeah. that i've ever met and he gave me the space that i needed to feel the rage to feel the pain to feel yeah. everything and to be a mirror yeah. Have I talked to you about how sometimes in our nervous system, um, when we finally receive what we've always needed, 
um, there can be pain and grief there. And sometimes we'll reject it because receiving it means that we have to feel that I was never there. You know, I uh, read about this in Attached. Oh, yes. You know, like the yes. idea of the avoidant. Or I guess when when Greg and I first got together, I would more characterize myself as an anxious attachment style and became more avoidant over time. I think when I had that space to <laughs> become a little bit more focused on myself, basically. Sure. But it, yeah, it was a little bit... I completely understand, but I would love to hear more about it from the nervous system perspective. Yeah. yeah. Well, it just sounds like, you know, you most likely had to go through a lot of pain and rage and um, just awareness that you didn't have something in order to feel receptive to actually welcome it. And, and not only to just welcome it, it sounds like you, like you were seeking it out. Mm -hmm. Like you went and you initiated this process for yourself you didn't just like wait on your couch and be like you know I hope that my best girlfriend's fine me here holla you know <laughs> holla at your girl yeah. yeah you were like I'm gonna make these circles and I'm gonna nurture these relationships and I'm gonna make an effort and if I want that in a female relationship I also need to be not necessarily just a space holder but I need to be capable of holding that same space that I want to be received and welcomed in another woman like I need to also be capable to offer that mm -hmm. I think that's huge yeah it definitely takes um accountability yeah and like I said with the yoga practices you're kind of is this process of self-realization yeah so you witness this potential in yourself and it's kind of it's interesting the way that it moves. It's got this life of its own and it wants to be seen and it wants to be heard and it wants to connect with other people. So I, I don't know. I don't feel, I feel like it was the only choice I had in some ways yeah. is to, I had it brewing inside of me and yeah, it had to spill out basically. And I really, well, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Well, once it started, you know, especially when I, uh, so I had had all these like friendships that wouldn't last or like something would happen and you know, they were all really fleeting. And then when I took my Kundalini class, I was, I think I was the youngest person there. And a lot of the women were in their forties, probably even fifties and older. And even when I was practicing a lot in the early years, I was in these senior classes and I was taking like classes with women that were so much older than me. And when I really think about it, that's like who I resonated with most mm -hmm. um, in my life is the older women. And so, I mean, not only were they able to give me the space that I needed to like come into myself, but I was learning so much from them about female connection because they were like in this part of their lives where they were already secure with themselves and with their friendships and how to relate to one another so especially in the kundalini training which was my first teacher training i was able to learn from these women and that's when i was like really going through a lot of my releases and rebuilding uh, actually, I wouldn't even say the rebuilding. It was, the re it was a lot of releasing in the that first, uh, <laughs> first training. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what did you learn from them? Like, Women. yeah. What did they teach you? What was the wisdom there? Oh, 
I have this really fond memory of um, a friend of mine, Airely, who took the training with me. And uh, she was, I, I'm so close with her. She's like a rockin' woman. She's fire. And she was just opening me up to this world of being myself. Um, and I think that this is a really important part of me understanding how to connect with other women is that it was okay to be myself. Right. Yeah. For so many years, I think that the big, the biggest part of disconnection with between myself and other women was because I was trying to, uh, change myself to be more like them essentially. And, you know? and did you think that that was going to give you connection at that point? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I thought that by changing myself, they would like me more or I would be more accepted or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. I was always seeking to like, I was being fake essentially because I was trying to get attention through means that weren't aligned with myself because I didn't feel like myself was good enough. Um, so in the training, especially with Airly, I felt so seen and just comfortable with being myself and she was challenging. This is mm. another thing about Airly. She's very challenging. She challenges every aspect of you, even your speech. Um, you know, let me give you an example that if I were to say something like, oh, you know when this happens or when you feel this way, and she's saying, I don't feel this way. This is how you feel. And she re requires you to take responsibility for each and every word, each and every feeling. Um, and to make it yours. So much accountability there. A lot, yeah. She's probably the first person that really challenged me in that way. Right. Um, yeah, I have this memory of her. I don't even know if I've talked to her about it before. She like snuck up behind me once and grabbed my stomach and gave me a hug. And I tripped out because this was when I was going through a lot of my body image stuff. The idea of someone touching me, first of all, touching me, and second of all, touching a part of my body that I had a really bad relationship with was kind of mortifying. And I jumped and she had a look on her face that she didn't understand mm. because she was so secure in her love and she was showing me that. Right. And she was loving me and trying to connect with me and I was afraid. Mm. Uh, that she would like see or feel that I had a stomach. Right. And it kept me from connecting with her. Right. And I saw the almost a look of pain on her face that she didn't understand right. why I wasn't able to receive. And I think about that often uh, for some reason, just that look on her face of, because now I recognize that she was confused about why I wasn't connecting with that love that she was trying to share with me. Right. So these are the types of ways that she challenged me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Where do you think that as women we go wrong in our relationships to each other? I think you mentioned one around disconnection. <laughs> yeah, I think... I think a part of it has to do with your relationship with your mother. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Um, you know, the way that our society, our culture tells us to behave with other women, 
generally it's kind of like this competitive vibe that we have going with a lot of other women Mm -hmm. at least it was when I was growing up and I was in high school and um you know especially once you're starting to date I think that things can get a little messy especially if you have people encouraging you to just focus on males which was my experience I didn't grow up with someone who was encouraging me to cultivate female connections I was encouraged I was encouraged to date find a man to find a man exactly yeah so I think that you know a lot of it stems from not understanding oneself not understanding one's own um, necessity for a connection Mm -hmm. um, and being disconnected to yourself yeah yeah to me too I think what is so is that asparagus it is (laughs) My socks have asparagus on them and palm trees. They're two different ones, you know, if you're in the mood to eat or in the mood to sunbathe, whatever, you know. Um, Sorry to... That's the realness of it. Um, Something that I find, too, that's really detrimental to our female relationships um, is that we're not taught that they're important, Mm. right? Like, if you look historically... Women used to like gather together to bleed, to sync up together, to support each other. They had private time literally away from the men. Yeah. And for some reason now it just feels so disconnected. And like in the spirit of the actual show connected, like that's a huge piece of what I think as women we need to be well, to be in relationship with each other. But we're not really taught that it's important. Like you said, we're taught to like go find a man. Well, and this is an interesting point that you bring up that originally with those red tents. Yeah, those red tents, that's the image that I get. Yeah, well, and like this was like a rite of passage for yeah. women that their mothers saw, okay, this is my daughter's special t- like coming of age time. Yeah. And they would initiate this process. You know, it's these young women are supposed to be initiated into their menstrual time, I guess. And we're not getting that. We're not connecting even with our own mothers on our periods. Like, Mm. you know, I know for an example, like my mother didn't grow up with her mother really when she was at her age of getting her period. Interesting. And so it was completely avoided. And that was the experience for a lot of women that I know, that their period was kind of like esoteric, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. And it had to be like kept under hush. Yeah. Um, and at this time, this was before my sister was born, or rather, maybe my sister was like a year old. I got my period pretty young. Yeah. How old were you? Nine. Oh, Nine wow. That is really young. Yeah. I think that's more common, though. Totally. And yeah. my mother got it when she was like eight years old. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's it runs in our family. Yeah. Um, and now even more so because of our diets and mm. our world women are getting it younger and younger young girls are and uh yeah so we have this like disconnection from our own bodies so like how can we hope to be connected with one another to each other <laughs> totally I think it's so backwards like I, I I think I've told you this before like I just walk in the world being like what the hell is everybody doing like you know like what the fuck like why does no one have the same values as I do yeah um I keep looking at Nikola Tesla <laughs> 
he's a little intimidating. He is. Like, yeah. he's really, he's really peering into my soul. Um, and, and that's the thing, too, that I feel so viscerally, like, in high school, um, I had a ton of girlfriends as well, but it was very catty. Like, the relationships yeah. were very catty. I still have some of my close girlfriends from high school who we are kind of in each other's lives, but we're not, like, intimately in depth in each other's lives anymore. Um, but that was all I knew for like most of my life. So when I got out of high school, I kind of had like a fast track of like just getting life done almost. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just kind of had this awakening where I, um, like didn't want shitty relationships anymore, especially with my friends. Um, obviously the men part was something that <laughs> I did not address <laughs> as soon as possible, uh, but my friendships I did. <laughs> um, and for me, it's like, I have a lot of expectations around friendships. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, I do feel like they're a little bit extra just because, you know, they are, I do kind of expect my friends to, um, occupy like a depth that you would expect family to occupy right? Like I'm interested in that kind of friendship where it's, you know, like you got me, I got you, like call me anytime. And, but is yeah. that not extra? I don't think it's extra, no, but I, I think everybody else thinks it's extra. Well, not I you, don't. you don't, <laughs> which is why we're here. I got you girl. <laughs> right. And that's the thing where it's, um, it's been really tough for me to actually even let go of that belief that it is extra yeah. to, um, just biologically require that. And it's hard when you're not numb because you actually feel your biological need for connection with women mm -hmm. um, as a woman. Yeah. And yes, it is technically easier to be numb to your biological impulse. Yes. But in the long term, that's not good for our health at all. No. Right. And I think it's so unhealthy that, for example, many people don't actually sit down like we did tonight and have a meal together mm -hmm. and like drive to each other's houses and make sure that we're spending in-person quality time together because that's regulating, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that it's weird that people just like think it's okay to not come to your house, you know, until you've been living there for six months. Like, I think that's weird. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's not friendship. I don't get that. That's like acquaintances. That's like someone that you've met at the grocery store level of connection for me. Yeah. I agree. And I'm not down with that. No. <laughs> so yeah, like female friendships, like biologically, they're really, really important. Well, and I think that goes back also to like that menstrual cycle yeah. thing. When mm -hmm. I started paying really like a lot of attention to my menstrual cycle, mm -hmm. like getting synced up with it. I started becoming more and more connected with other women because yeah. I was like, wow, we're sharing something so sacred. And I know that you love talking all things menstrual as well. So it's <laughs> like, you can kind of understand that like I was seeing women for like, <laughs> like what they are biologically. I'm like, damn, like you have something so special. <laughs> and like, I, I love that. That's part of the reason that I wanted to start connecting with women because I was like in complete amazement about my own body. Yeah. You know, as I started like healing my relationship with my body, I was like, damn, this is awesome. I got a nice, nice <laughs> thing going on. And yeah. like, so do all these women around yeah. me. And it really changed how I was seeing women. Yeah. So it was starting to heal like that, the way that I was seeing yeah. other women and also being able to understand that like, oh, like perhaps some of the disconnection that we're experiencing is like a result of, you know, firstly, not being connected to our own natural rhythms. 
you know, but then also the things that we have to experience around our periods, mm. like that cutting that we really do have to do around our period, mm -hmm. around that biological, um, like power basically of ours. We have to like disconnect <laughs> from it. You know, it's, yeah. yeah. It's a unique experience to people who genuinely have bleed, like just physically bleed. Yeah. Right. It's so different. Yeah. It is really, really different. And, um, I think it's, it's weird. I remember talking to a girlfriend about this, like last year around this time. And she's very close with her partner. Mm -hmm. Um, to the point where I feel sometimes she just has a social life to just say she has a social life. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, just like, I don't want to just be with my partner all the time. Like I need to have like friends, mm -hmm. but like, sometimes when I was sharing moments with her, I'd be like, she's just here to like fucking fill space. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I don't, I don't love this. And I remember like being like weird, really authoritative to the whole situation and being like, you know what? We need female friends <laughs> and we need to make that a priority because guess what? Like if we have a breakup or if something goes even even if you have the best relationship with your partner who's a male or a female, yeah. right? Like you still need, I think anyway, like biologically speaking, we still need sisterhood. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. Even from like, I mean, like I look at all women as my sisters now, but mm -hmm. then there's like my sisters. Yeah. Like the people that I'm like, well, <laughs> you're know? a sister, you're a sister. Yeah. <laughs> the people yeah. that like, I'm close, like my community. Yeah. And this is something that's also really missing because we're so atomized mm -hmm. as a society. It's kind of like the, you know, we were talking about uh, capitalism a little bit earlier, and that's kind of like the way this structure goes. That it like thrives on people being disconnected, because like what it means that you're going to wake up in the morning, go to work, come home, watch TV by yourself. You live in your house by yourself, and you don't really have the necessity to reach out, right? Yeah, and all you do is stay on your phone, and then like, and I'm not, I love my phone, and I love to talk and like connect through social media. Like, I'm sure you're listening to this podcast. I love how I'm looking at the mic. I'm like, these are the people you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Click if there's a, like a third person here. Yeah, yeah, with us. yeah. <laughs> Representative yeah. of, of the, the people. Yeah, the, the peeps. The peeps. Um, yeah. like they'll probably find out about the podcast because of social media. Like yeah. they'll know that we had this conversation and that they can listen to it because we're going to post it on social media. So I'm not hating on that, but I am hating on the fact that that is what we are kind of settling for in terms of connection. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's killing us. I think slowly. Totally. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of things that are killing us. And actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you was what do you think is wrong with the planet? Oh God. Yeah. I was really excited to ask you this. Like, what do you think, like if you had a magic wand, like a Des God-like ability, what would you change? Like what's wrong with the planet you think? Just like maybe sum it up. <laughs> it's a very casual question. I was driving over here. I was like, that is the one question I cannot forget to tell her or ask her really. <laughs> um, I mean, I think a big part of the problem is capitalism. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the thing is, is that like, if I had that magic wand, would I take away capitalism? Like, it do I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Um, but that's because I'm looking at it through the context of capitalism through our life. I mean, like, 
you know, you just touch on like the problem of social media, for example. It's a, a beautiful way to connect with people, uh, to be able to share your message and all these types of things. But then it also takes away from the actual person to person connection. The co-regulation of community. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so like, this is kind of like on a larger scale, like let's think about like globalization. Globalization is a wonderful thing in some aspects that like, um, you know, we have access to the whole world. We have access to information from around the world, different foods from around the world. But then we're also destroying the whole world um, through a variety of, of different means, like taking different businesses and organizations and shipping these things overseas you know you look at like uh i think chris hedges calls them uh, some kind of zone <laughs> i forget but mm. talks about these ideas where in the states in particular places are completely like desolate so in chicago is right. one of them where they had these steel factories right. and they picked up all of this business and they shipped it up overseas and so like outsourcing outsourcing exactly yeah. so you know this creates a lot of different issues for a lot of different reasons um but i mean i think it all stems from from capitalism <laughs> i don't know but then there's like i mean capitalism is a pretty old structure too mm -hmm. um but i think in terms of like our current situation not only is it destroying like mother earth to to have organize or companies basically like ravaging the planet constantly yeah. um but it's like ravaging us right We're... well you know i read a quote actually on instagram <laughs> um that was like you know food used to just be organic yeah. for example yeah right so like in those ways, why do you think capitalism, why do you think it exists? Like, why do you think that we've gotten to this point? And that could be just literally your opinion. Yeah. You know, I think that um, really what the problem is, is the way that um, businesses are kind of above government structure. Um, so this is called inverted totalitarianism yeah um where businesses are held in much higher regard than anything else including our personal well-being um so it's more profitable to grow large amounts of corn than it is to grow nutrient-dense foods for people mm. it's more profitable to run society and run the food industry in particular in certain ways than it is to uh, make sure that there's a high nutrient quality for these foods and to be making sure that everyone is getting them I mean this ties into a lot of different things mm -hmm. um, but yeah so I mean I think that that's when I talk about capitalism I think that that's what I have the biggest issue with this like profit over people the monopoly yeah the monopoly yeah. of like everything mm -hmm. over people's individual wellness mm -hmm. and our collective wellness, I guess. Yeah. And the earth's wellness. Yeah. I mean, we're so <laughs> talk about connection. Like yeah. we're disconnected from the wellness of the earth. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, um, 
I think it's interesting how much we don't really think about that on a daily basis. Yeah. We don't really think about maybe not you personally, <laughs> um, but like for the average Joe, and I would put myself in this category too. Like I wake up, I'm not like, how's earth doing to this morning? Yeah. You know, I'm like, what do I have going on? You know? Yeah. And I think this is something that is in so much of my blog posts and so much of this content of this podcast is I think we have a huge one showing up problem in this generation. And I think that we are too obsessed with looking out for number one mm-hmm. to gain success, to get ahead. I think it's a big problem that we're facing that we are actually even like in the self-help world taught to always look out for us, which inherently is an okay message because we do need to be okay to be of service to other people. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where it got lost that as a tribe, we do better when everybody is using their own individual potential. And whenever someone falls weak, we all go to help that person. So the person can rise back up. Mm-hmm. And then when that person rises back up, then the whole tribe does better. Mm-hmm. I think it's so disconnected to be like, number one, like always look out for number one. I always have to look out for myself or whatever. Like even in my family system, there was so much messaging around, like you are the one who needs to look out for yourself first and foremost. And everybody kind of like, every man for himself and I'm just kind of like growing out of that programming myself Mm -hmm. and I look at how it's not just in my family system it's in like ingrained into society as well all systems yeah Yeah. well and you know what I think go to go back to that question that you asked me like what's wrong Mm -hmm. uh it's the disconnection Mm -hmm. it's a disconnection from ourselves and the disconnection from each other and Mm -hmm. there's like an intrinsic interconnection between everything else like that's basically what quantum physics tells us that's what Mm -hmm. like all of these different like core sciences are telling us that um we have an inextricable connection to every single other thing you know (laughs) uh even though like you know the air in this room like we can't see it but that doesn't mean that it's not filled with like molecules and things like this that we're not interacting with exactly so like this is like a a core idea with yoga Mm. um i think that's why i've been able to like draw the connections that i have or like to establish myself in that understanding of how important they are because there is no separation in yoga. You're connected with every single thing that's around you, including the air. You're in a constant exchange with your environment. And you can see that in like a simple relationship with someone or, you know, even not in relationship with someone, just someone that you don't even know that well. If they walk into the room, you can pick up on someone's vibe pretty easily. Um, and that changes how you're going to interact with that person or how even you're going to feel on the inside. Um, yeah, we've lost that, probably the sensitivity in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then also like the importance of what that, the implications of that is. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yoga. Yeah. Seems to have been a really big solution for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah. So tell me, tell me a bit. And this is interesting because I don't know your full story around this. When did you when did you pick up yoga? Like (laughs) Um, okay, so a girlfriend of mine Mm -hmm. when I 
must have been 19. Mm -hmm. She was like, let me take you to this yoga class. They're chanting. And she was like kind of making fun of it. So she thought that I would get a kick out of it. You and know? this was Kundalini? This was Kundalini. Okay. Although uh, the studio that I started going to, uh, like my teacher was all about this. Traditional yogi and all into the chanting in most of her classes. So it became like a thing for me. Yeah. So she brings me to the studio and... I, I like walked in and, you know, there's a picture of a yogi, um, that I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I remember every time I would see these type of images, like spiritual images or whatever, I was like drawn to them, even though I didn't know what they were. And I always thought that I wanted to understand these things. Like I wanted to be a person who understood. So I had this like motivation, like a natural propensity towards understanding the spiritual world. Yeah. So I, we took off our shoes. This is like downtown uh, in Barrie. Yeah. And she, we walk up these stairs and Ganga, my teacher, was standing up at the top of the stairs and she was like waiting for us. And welcome, <laughs> welcome <laughs> to your sanctuary. Yeah. And so she had, she lived there as well. And like in the back was her living space, like her bedroom and there's a bathroom back there. And then up the stairs was the kitchen mm. and right beside the kitchen and adjacent to it was the um yoga space which would be like a living room for most people it's kind of like my house how we don't have a living room we have a yoga space yeah um so it had like a big purple wall with mountains painted on it and a big full moon <laughs> and on the other wall was like this brick wall with all of these beautiful photos of yogis and ohm symbols and things yeah. like that i think she had like feathers or something hanging from the ceiling and she had all of these plants in her window which like overlooked the downtown street it was yeah. like a really strange place to have a yoga studio because it was kind of like is it still there no no um, what is it now a woman just she was actually supposed to carry on the legacy of the studio okay. and kind of moved into it and oh. made it her own okay. home yeah so as far as i know she's still there living yeah. her life which is yeah. good for her um but anyway this so was at the time at the like time, a profound place. it was beautiful yeah. yeah it was like you'd walk in and it was like peace yeah when you walked in and uh yeah, so we chanted, and I was in love with the chanting, and I was in love with Ganga. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that that probably really helped to facilitate mm -hmm. like my like my love for the yoga yeah. was because of Ganga. <laughs> yeah, for the yoga. Yeah, because yeah. Ganga is Hungarian, yeah. and uh, she sounds exactly like my grandmother, like the mm -hmm. same accent, and I just felt so drawn to her. Mm -hmm. She's also extremely warm, and right. you know, she was also one of the first people that like. I started to learn the importance of that feminine connection from because she's such a powerful woman yeah. and she just wants to connect and nurture everyone around her. Yeah. So I loved the classes immediately and I started going like to three classes a day kind of thing. <laughs> that was me with Zumba. <laughs> <laughs> I've never done Zumba. You've never done Zumba? Isn't fun? I love it. I haven't done it in a couple of years, but yeah. Oh, I used to go like three times a day. Yeah. Whoa. It's exhausting, isn't it? I loved it. I was trying to make myself sleep though at the time. Oh, I yeah. gotcha. But I loved it. It's like Spanish music. It's super fun. Did I feel like I was sleep? Mexican in a past life. And Tesla. Yeah. The Spanish Tesla? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. 
<laughs> so anyway, you were going three times a day and it was changing your life. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like giving a snapshot of like our differences at that time in both of our respective lives. I love it. I love it. So um, yeah, I was going to like all of her classes. So she had like a lot of seniors classes. I was like, she does this other type of yoga called Babaji's Kriya Hatha Yoga. And it's just like 18 postures. That was her thing. Um, and like, and that was like, she was Babaji's. Uh, she was like his initiate okay. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, I actually got initiated into the first round of that. Because I was like so into it, it all. I like knew. you fell in love with I the practice. I was like in love with the practice yeah. because it was the first time that I had ever experienced myself. So what I'm hearing <laughs> though is that it was like a union for you oh. with your body, yeah. with the divine. Like it just made you come home. Like from what I, like as I'm listening, it feels like you you came home to yourself. Absolutely. That's how I've often referred to it as. Yeah. Okay. Coming home to myself. This is the first time I ever felt comfortable in my body. The first time I ever felt really comfortable, like being in a setting with other people, mm -hmm. um, like non-judgmental kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like bringing all my girlfriends, bringing all my friends. <laughs> I was like, y'all got to try this yoga. And it was kundalini so like i mean you've done kundalini you know what it's like to hold out your arms yeah. for like 10 minutes at a time yeah. and my some of my your friends, arms are jacked by the way i always look at your arms and i'm like holy shit i it's wish the i yoga. could i know it's the yoga but you are so strong like guys des is so strong i have no core strength i should work on it honestly it's it's not great for me um but you have such intense core strength and you're yeah. kind of like you're a small person in the sense of like you're not like a tower over people. Like I feel like you're a normal height. Yeah. Like you know, you're not you're not like overweight in any way. Like no. you're very slim, but like you're not just slim. Like you're fit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you're 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 like you're swell. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Thanks, you girl. Know? <laughs> so anyway, like your arms are kundalini arms. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A student of mine actually a few weeks ago, she was just like oh, you're looking so fit. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, yoga. Yeah. And actually, no. we were talking about that in your kitchen earlier. Like, I think we look at yoga just yeah. in the mainstream right now as like a little bit of a, I don't, I, I don't know how we really look at it. To me, I just think we look at it as like, it's a stretching situation. Yeah. Aerobics. Maybe. Aerobics, yeah. maybe. And you were explaining like, actually yoga has, how about you tell us? Yeah. Because that'll be more profound. <laughs> I mean, uh, my understanding of the practice outside of this process of being for self-realization, um, it's for creating balance uh, in your body. So one of the primary things that you'll find in traditional practices is digestive optimization. Um, and it does this by working with your endocrine system and through your nervous system. So like ancient yogis like knew what was up. So there's like these practices, you traditionally get up around 4am to do your practices. And uh, they talk about this like Amrit, which is like this nectar that you're like, if you are in this deep meditation or you do these certain practices, you'll taste this nectar. Mm -hmm. um, I should do that when the snow plows wake me up in the morning. Yeah. Like best time. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's what time is it? Cause I it's had a like client four, four to four. six a.m. Yeah, yeah. So that's about the time the snow plows come. <laughs> so I'll just yoga hours. Yeah. yeah. Yoga hour. Yeah. Nectar time. Nectar time. Well, um, so, and it would make sense. So <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you why. Yeah. Um, the reason being, I didn't learn this until years after is right. that 
between 4 and 6 a.m. is when your pineal gland starts to go online again. Yes. And when does it nighttime? Uh, like around the same, like, so if you look at like your circadian rhythm, like when the sun is coming up and going down, this is when your pineal gland starts to naturally either produce, um, cortisol and serotonin or start to produce melatonin and turn off the other things. Okay. You know? So like four to 6 a.m. is when it starts to come back online, getting ready for the day. Yeah. So then you're secreting cortisol and serotonin to prepare for your day to turn on your nervous system essentially. So if you wake up at that time and you're starting to make best use of those hormones by doing something like focusing your mind, strengthening your body and your mind, doing these yogic practices that are designed to optimize your hormonal system, you're going to make best use of those for not only those like short amount of like that time in the morning, but it's going to be for your whole day. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I remember when I first started doing the 4 a.m. practices, I was thinking, oh my God, how am I going to last? the whole day after that i'm going to be awake you know until 10 o'clock or something i'm going to be exhausted but it gives you energy for the whole day because your system is optimized Mm. you know and then at the end of the night because your pineal gland has been working efficiently throughout the day then it turns on and starts to secrete melatonin in the way that it needs to and you fall asleep naturally yeah so okay from four to six in the morning what should someone do to get to the nectar (laughs) Like, to get to the nectar. Yeah, like let's say I want the nectar. What do I do? Like, what are my practices yeah. that I'm doing? And I actually mean that like literally. Like, what what is it that you do during that time yeah. in terms of the practice? It depends on the tradition that you're following. So let's talk about Kundalini, I guess. Yeah. Uh, a Kundalini sadhana. You're waking up and you're reading Japji, which is the scriptures. Reading scriptures is a really important part of all yoga traditions. It's called Svadhyaya. Mm-hmm. It's one of the like disciplines, essentially. Um, so it's important because you're kind of like receiving this like sacred information through the text. And so you start off with getting acquainted with the words. And then you, in Kundalini at least, you work with your pranayama your breathing techniques yeah you work with some physical movement and in kundalini you'll find out like a lot of the kriyas the movements and everything like that are very specific um and they work directly with your nervous system and your endocrine system yeah interesting and that's why i think i was very attracted to kundalini Mm -hmm. yoga um because just in se like we actually learned that making sounds with our diaphragms and our voices and things like that actually stimulates the vagus nerve mm-hmm. into regulation. Mm-hmm. So just like the chanting part of Kundalini oh, yeah. is super, super related to somatically being regulated. Yeah. Well, they've done studies on that, that stimulating your vagus nerve through specifically, I think the studies were more so chanting OM. Yeah. Because there's like a woo. Exactly. And then there's a ah that does a different thing. The different sounds. Yes. Exactly. Well, and it's interesting. So it, you know, it stimulates your vagus nerves so that your parasympathetic starts to come back online. Come back online. However, you also get into a flow state with these practices where really your autonomic is kind of more or your sympathetic is more stimulated through Mm -hmm. the actual practice Mm -hmm. but in doing so it brings them into balance it Mm -hmm. creates more regulation Mm -hmm. so you get into the flow state 
but then it's creating the balance in the nervous system through cool. that, even if the opposite is cool. active, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, cause even just like making a meal is sympathetic energy, vacuuming is sympathetic energy. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense that you'd have some exercises in Kundalini and some practices in Kundalini that would activate that to actually discharge energy Yeah, as well. Exactly. Well, that's a huge yeah. part of it. That's like a big part of like yoga and a lot of Eastern traditions is like this discharging or releasing yes. stored energy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you have to you have to discharge the stress and the sympathetic to be able to regain parasympathetic anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's super cool. Do you think every human should be doing kundalini? Uh, (laughs) I don't know about kundalini specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, The only reason being that we all resonate with different types of practices. Mm -hmm. And I'm hesitant to say that like everyone should be doing this practice Mm -hmm. because it's not, not everyone is going to vibe with it. Mm -hmm. I vibed with it because I love intensity. So it's it's an intense practice. Mm but you know some people will vibe more with like vipassana practices which is more purely like mental practices um and they do really similar things those are those two specific practices actually are probably the most efficient that i know of um at like releasing stored emotions and all that kind of stuff your stuff yeah 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 exactly so I think that uh, whether or not it's kundalini or vipassana or whatever else a spiritual practice I think absolutely necessary for everyone yeah and we were kind of like hating on capitalism slashing that the world is super disconnected and do you think that having a spiritual practice I can assume that you do but I'm going to ask you anyway do you think that having a spiritual practice is the start of the solution to the problem that we're facing globally? Um, I think that it could give you a better idea of how to manage your own stuff and how to take our world a little bit more lightly. Um, But I'm not 100% sure about what the solution is in terms of that. I think it's important for (laughs) us. Yeah, I think it's important for us to have that while everything is kind of a mess okay uh it's always important but especially in times where shit's like horrible Mm -hmm. we need to have (laughs) some tools do you wonder that in in your life like do you ever wonder what is the solution to all of these problems yeah you know when i was younger i was like really entrenched in this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and it was like way detrimental for me because i was really caught up in it okay um and i was like obsessing over like what is the answer and it's depressing because there's really like no (laughs) way to know and Mm -hmm. it's just too complex Mm -hmm. of a so what do you do to kind of bring peace in in your body around it you do your own work I'm assuming like in terms of your practice yeah you mean like the yoga yeah yeah (laughs) that's what I've had like how do you manage the chaos of being alive yeah is the question yoga yeah yeah Yeah. I mean that's what it's for totally totally that's exactly it and like to go back to what you were saying before that like people view yoga as this like exercise essentially but mm-hmm. it's that's only one small part of it it's really a system to regulate yourself mm-hmm. um 
and to be able to connect with other people. So like oftentimes yoga is interpreted, like the word yoga is interpreted as union. And uh, that's beautiful to yoke, it means. Um, the, the way that I understand yoga is that it's a way for you to kind of separate your consciousness from like the material aspect of, of life, of, of world. Um, and that's kind of where you get into like the quantum physics perspective of things. But in either of those definitions, I guess, you have the opportunity to get a different um, perspective. And I think that that's really what's important because we can get so caught up in the world as a greater thing. But then like, think about like your own life. Like I, I could obsess over my life. <laughs> I often have, yeah, <laughs> like my issues and all that kind of stuff. But like, does it really do much for me to sit there and like get lost in like depression or whatever else? Like traditionally, it's not really been that effective for me. What's been effective is optimizing my systems so that I can like deal with those. More capacity, with more capacity. With more capacity, yeah. exactly. So yeah. And because of the nature of our world, like I think most of us are in this space of needing to build our capacity. Yeah. I think it's um, the, I think that's what is the difference between someone who's resilient and someone who's not. It's not like a personality flaw. Mm -hmm. If you're resilient or not, like I actually don't think that resiliency is a personality trait. Mm -hmm. I think it's the built bodily capacity. Something you develop. Yeah, I yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, when, and when people tell me I'm resilient, um, sometimes it feels like they're, they're kind of praising me, like in the sense of like, oh, wow, Emily, you're so resilient. Kind of like saying like, oh, I love your ring, for example, mm -hmm. you know, um, the reason I can be resilient is because I work on my nervous system capacity. Mm -hmm. I might do it in a slightly different way than you do just with the different practices that we use, but at the end of the day, like we're still both building capacity in our systems mm -hmm. to be able to show up in the world with greater ease. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be affected by things, but it doesn't mean that they're dysregulating us to the point of chaos. Yeah. Well, it's the difference between response versus reaction. Yeah. That's what you learn in the Vipassana meditation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all about like, you know, you see something come up. Let's say uh, an easy example is like an itch. Mm -hmm. Imagine like being in Shavasana at the end of your yoga class and then like your mind's going nuts. You get this itch and it's like absolutely the worst itch you've mm -hmm. ever felt where you're supposed to stay in stillness. Mm -hmm. um, so like reactivity would be like going and scratching that itch right away. Responsiveness is like looking at that and watching it, observing it moving if necessary kind of thing mm -hmm. um and through that you start to like develop that same that capacity like you said mm -hmm. about resilience mm -hmm. yeah yeah another i'm gonna pivot for a second okay. like mm -hmm. yeah anyway i'm done talking <laughs> about this oh. <laughs> well let's move on let's keep going uh, I like uh, another big part of your journey has been nutrition yeah and I actually really, and I don't think I've told you this, I really admire your relationship with food. I aspire to have a relationship with food that's more similar to yours every day. Um, that's Thank really you. important to me. That's yeah. so nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. What do you like about it? I like how intentional you are. 
And I like how food is like your life. Yeah. <laughs> and not in like, oh my God, food is your life type of thing. But the fact that you look at, at, this is my observation. I don't think you've actually expressed this to me. I've just observed it in your behavior. The fact that you look at food as life force. And for example, the other day I told you, I don't feel super grounded. And your first thing was, have you had a good meal? You know? <laughs> and to me, it's like, oh, fuck, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> You know, it's like, that would probably help make me feel grounded in my body to feed my body well. So that's what I really admire about the way that you live your life is that food is such an, like, it's such an important piece to living. And I think that that's true for everybody because people are, again, disconnected from that. So I love how you're connected to that. And um, I... I'm like really, really, really like interested by how you just come up with like these gourmet meal ideas. <laughs> just like whatever, I'll eat whatever, man. And you're like, I'm going to make steak with mushrooms. You know, like you just have this, all these ideas on how to create like the nacho, like potato bowl. What was it? Was it nachos? What was it? It, it was, it was like, a poutine? Yeah, the, the nacho poutine. Yeah. Like yeah. what? That was like one of the best things I've ever eaten. <laughs> just your Brussels sprouts. Earlier, best Brussels sprouts I've ever had. What were they in? Like what was the oil? Love. Just pure mm. love. It, it comes out. <laughs> like it really does. Seriously. I used to think the guy was living with um, in the summer, my friend Nick, um, he makes like really good meals. And because we've had a bit of a drift in our friendship, um, I have had moments where I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do <laughs> with not having Nick's cooking anymore? Yeah. And then like you came into my life and I was like, this is way better. <laughs> I, I thought, I was like, I thought I was done. <laughs> like, I thought I had the, my best days were in the past. Yeah. But now like, there's just something about your relationship with food that I find, of course, inspiring, but then also you make, you're such a good, great cook and you care so much about where you're sourcing the food and everything like that. And I know for you, it's not always been the case. So um, there's a lot of listeners who have had issues around food. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly if you have a specific insight that you want to share. So just what's on your heart as I'm complimenting yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, like, my journey with food really was born out of, like, necessity. And it, I mean, I feel like my whole life started when I started doing Kundalini <laughs> yeah. Yoga, like, back to that. Um, but, like... That was your awakening. It was my awakening, yeah. exactly. And that was at a time where I was going through a lot of, like, physical, like, health conditions. Mm -hmm. I was struggling with, like, hypoglycemia. Like, I had to eat, like, every 30 minutes or else I was absolutely horrible to be around mm. um i was dealing with extremely bad constipation mm. like uh, the worst that it's ever been in my life um i was it, i mean dealing with like weight gain um and like extreme body image issues mm -hmm. that was like the biggest thing and mm -hmm. i was so just not into it that i wanted something different for myself um, so it was really born out of necessity because I was like, I don't want to live this way. And, uh, you know, like I grew up with a lot of care put into my food. So I think that really stuck with me. Like in my teens, I started like eating more like crap basically. But, um, in my heart, I always 
like I love home cooked meals because it gives you the opportunity to connect with your food. And like in my own eyes, I've always viewed myself as like, I don't know, like an, an older person. Mm-hmm. And I mean this like from like generations and generations ago that like I feel like I'm connected to the land and to what I'm eating. And I don't know if that's because like there's a piece of me that's like nostalgic or something, like listening to like my grandparents and I'm just like, no, that's me. I think that's just being connected <laughs> with the world around you. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably. just a very connected person. Yeah, I guess so. Well, you know? I'm like, I yearn for it. And you've so. worked hard or you've put a lot of conscious effort into being this way. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, with food, it was like, um, I was like obsessed with everything I would eat constantly. I was working out only so that I could eat more. I was like tracking every calorie I ate. I had this like tracker on my phone and I would, as soon as I ate anything like cherries, I would look it up like 60 calories. I would put that in there and I was obsessing over it. For some people that works, Mm -hmm. for some people they really thrive on it. But for me, any time that I thought I was thriving on it was me trying to justify this food obsession and it was not healthy for me Mm -hmm. because you know I would be working out to eat more or to eat in general and I would be constantly preoccupied with what I was going to eat or what I had just eaten was it okay did I eat too much did I eat the right thing and this is something that a lot of people end up because there's so much like misinformation out there and we are so disconnected from our bodies. We don't know what the right things to eat are. Um, so that was for a, us too. For us, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so, so, I don't know. I was in constant torment about it basically. And so this all started actually when I went vegan and I, how long have you been vegan now? Mm, eight years nice yeah so vegetarian for 11 years or something like Mm -hmm. that and um I just became crazed with everything with everything food and uh there's no way for me to call it healthy even though I was eating the right things I was eating lots of kale and green smoothies and gluten-free this and all that have you heard the word orthorexia yes yeah did you resonate with that? Yeah. 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 Because I, I didn't really resonate with the idea of like bulimia or anorexia. Mm-hmm. There have been times in the past where I have had the experience of both of these things, uh, not eating or completely purging my meals. Mm-hmm. Um, though those times weren't as often, it was really just me being consumed with the idea of food. Um, and you know, like every time I passed a mirror, constantly criticizing my body and uh yeah blaming food and blaming my relationship with food that must have been really 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 painful it was painful you know especially because I love food and this is something I hear from a lot of people I love food but then they have a really shitty relationship with it Mm -hmm. (laughs) right isn't that interesting it is interesting um and I You know, as I've gone in this whole journey with holistic nutrition, I've really started to understand a lot of this, the food psychology and why and how we relate to food. Um, And it's a lot of misinformation, misidentification and disconnection with our own bodies. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. What's really interesting though for me in that story is how did you go from having this relationship with food to the relationship that you have now? Like what were the shifts that you yeah. incurred basically? You know, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the strong meditation practice because in meditation you're constantly pulling yourself back to presence. And I was noticing the thoughts that I was having about myself. Mm -hmm. You look fat. You're disgusting. Uh, I commented earlier saying that I was like starting fights with my friends so that I didn't have to go out with them because I was afraid of how I would look yeah. in public, things like this. Mm -hmm. So I, um, because I was already meditating a lot and I could witness the power of my mind, mm -hmm. I decided that every time I had a negative thought or I was like trying to stop myself or being confrontational with people, I would replace that because your, your, your brain is plastic. Yeah. There's neuroplasticity. Exactly. So if you're stuck on this like programming where like you look fat or like this or that, whatever your words are to yourself, you actually have to change that. That's what the pause, the power of like positive affirmations are. Your brain responds so well to positive affirmations because you're rewiring it um but you the trick is that you have to like really believe it the idea with positive affirmations is that after a while you just like kind of trick yourself into believing it um <laughs> whoopsie daisy yeah <laughs> no i'm not a, a obsessed with food i love myself no i mean like it's not that easy and like a few years ago if someone said that to me i would be insulted i would sure. be like fuck you like you don't you know don't, what my you don't struggle get it. Is. yeah however now looking back i see how detrimental a mindset that is mm -hmm. where you're like so closed off to your own healing that you're clinging to your issues that you're mm -hmm. clinging to them as an identity for yourself that's a problem because mm -hmm. we are not our pain mm -hmm. we're not even our happiness mm -hmm. those are states that come and go mm -hmm. and when I was really starting to understand that I was like oh damn like I can change anything I <laughs> <laughs> so what do you change yeah what do you change how do you change it I yeah. looked at what I was doing and what wasn't working for me I mean if I'm being tormented constantly I like your energy right away. Yeah, I'm like feeling, I'm <laughs> like right now I feel defensive for that younger part of myself and for all of the other women yeah. and, you know, men as well. But the people who have to go through these issues who don't know how to start or how to get through it. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's not easy that, you know, when you have this type of thought to catch yourself. That's the first step. You catch yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, like in meditation... By the time you've like, you've, you drift off, you start thinking about something. By the time you notice that you have been drifted off, like who knows how long you were gone for. So you're like thinking about your first boyfriend's mom. And exactly. Doing. You're like, <laughs> yeah. she's doing well. I wonder if that's still her favorite line. Exactly. Know? And then all of a sudden you're like, what am I thinking about? <laughs> so this is the thing. The first step is like being able to notice that you're having the thought. And that takes practice. Yeah. It takes practice to bring yourself back. So you're developing presence at first. And, you know, like I resonate with yoga and meditation because those teach you how to be present. But there's lots of different things to teach you how to be present. So, so like interrupt to get into the present. Exactly. Right? You interrupt those thoughts. Yeah. And then you start to change them. So like if you don't like the feeling, like I recognized I didn't like the feeling of constantly shit talking myself or looking at food and having anxiety. I love food. 
So why am I having anxiety every time I look at like a salad or something? Like mm. that's ludicrous to me. So I recognize these things as opportunities. Um, and, you know, I started looking for them. Started looking for every opportunity I could get to challenge myself. And I love that. I, I love to be challenged, but I love even more to challenge myself. Yeah. Um, because it's a process of empowerment. And how long do you think that took to fully kind of shift? Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to even give it a timeline. I mean, you know, and it's probably, it would be different for everyone. It would be different for a number of things, depending on what you have to work through. Yeah. For myself, I think the the real work probably took like two years yeah. of like consciously challenging the thoughts for yeah. them to change yeah. where now like, you know, years ago I would look into in, in the mirror, like for hours of the day, I would have these horrible thoughts about what I wanted to do to my body, like really impulsive, horrible things. And now there's, like days where I'm like, have I even looked at myself in the mirror in like this week? Like, and I think, you know, I noticed when I was in India a few years ago, in the second month I lived in an ashram and there was no mirror and I stopped looking at myself for a month. And I think that that was, actually I talk about this a lot, that that was a time of my life where I was really rediscovering the joy of food. And this is really important on healing your digestion and your relationship with food is rediscovering that joy. Because you have to enjoy what you're eating. That's like the first step of eating is looking at something and feeling appetized by it. You have to be excited. Being excited. Yeah. Like when I was about to eat here. Exactly. Like so yeah. What? It looked amazing. <laughs> you can't look at your food and be like, that looks like shit. I'm not and, excited. And like, yeah. <laughs> like, but you know that anticipation of being so excited to eat? Totally. It's yeah. part of the digestive process. It's yeah. Stimu it's just looking at your food, smelling your food, um, being connected with it while you're grocery shopping or if you're growing your food. <laughs> it starts to like prime your stomach with the digestive like juices, mm -hmm. you know, especially while you're cooking. This is why I'm a huge advocate for making your own food. Like we don't eat anything that's processed. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while I'll go out and I'll eat somewhere. But in those cases, I'm deep breathing to make sure that my digestive, digestive system is optimized. I'm connected with that food. I'm looking at it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, should we feel the food? I was like, what about feeling it? That's a really big I like thing. to eat with my fingers. You know, when I, again, when I was in India, this is like a really pivotal, pivotal time of my life when mm -hmm. I was there mm -hmm. because they don't use <laughs> utensils. Mm -hmm. And the yogic belief of that mm -hmm. is because it creates a closed circuit. Mm -hmm. If you have a fork, mm -hmm. you have like this big piece of metal between your hand and the food. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're touching a food, you're in tune with its texture, you're putting it into your mouth, right. right? It's intimate. I had this like woman that took care of me in India mm -hmm. and uh, she was like, why do you need a spoon? You have five on your hand. And I was like, okay, 
Oh, right. And then yeah. I, I just went like ape shit over it. <laughs> yeah. I got back to uh, Canada and Greg and I went for lunch to Fresh and we were eating, I ordered a salad. Like Fresh in Toronto? Fresh in Toronto. And yeah. I, I ordered a salad and mm-hmm. I started eating it with my hands mm-hmm. in the restaurant and he was kind of mortified because he's like, what are you doing? You're not using a fork. Were you going like this or like this? I was like taking handfuls. <laughs> I mean like acceptable handfuls but like yes I was eating okay, it with like, my like a hand. spoon so basically yeah the way I know you guys can't see us but there's like a <laughs> miming going on and it's like scooping it's like a scooping yeah, yeah. it's a scooping yeah <laughs> you know because you're like connecting it's yeah and, like you did you touched on it earlier that like food is life force it it's is. not just how I view it but food is life force. it is <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean you're viewing it correctly <laughs> Most of us are not. I feel like I'm 50-50 with it, truthfully. Yeah. I feel like I do see food. I, I have not had um, a, a really negative experience with food. I did for a little bit of time when I was on the candida diet. Mm. Um, I was, like, freaking out about eating raspberries and things like that. Like, what you were explaining, I had that very, very briefly. But something I can really thank my mother for is that um, my mom always let me intuitively eat. So like when I was done mm-hmm. eating, I was done eating. If I was hungry, I could eat something. I could have a snack. Like there was never, she had such a positive, um, that's one thing that I think she did like literally the best is how she like raised me and my brother, but me specifically as a, as a young girl around food, like we didn't even have a scale in the house Good. type of a thing. Yeah. So for me, my relationship with food hasn't been a difficult one. I've had a lot of other difficulties, but um, happily that hasn't been one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have really noticed since I started getting a lot of health issues that my relationship with food started shifting in a negative way mm-hmm. because many things were making me sick. And like a lot of the things that were making me sick, it's okay that I'm not having them anymore. Cause it's like dairy, gluten, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but still like I started kind of fearing food a little bit. That's big. Yeah. The food fear. Food fear. Um, And then that started being present for me and I didn't like it. I was able to kind of shift it because I did have a really good history around it. So I was able to kind of see it as it was popping up. It wasn't just my normal that I had to completely decondition from having the food fear. Um, But yeah, it's just... Food for me, where I see I struggle with it, is to really make room and space and time for it. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say I'm kind of 50 50. Like, half of the time, I'm really, really connected with my food. The other half, I'm like, oh my God, I have like half an hour, like, scarf something down, make something quick. Most people. And what does that do for your nervous system exactly. and your digestion? Yeah. yeah. We were talking about breathing earlier yeah. before you're eating and while you're eating. And like one of my big rules and chewing. is and chewing. <laughs> yeah. My one of my big rules is not eating in a rush mm-hmm. because you miss those things. If you have to eat in a rush, you're not gonna be like, Am I taking deep enough breaths? Or am I chewing my meals mm-hmm. properly or like my food properly? Right. You could miss out on the whole experience of eating because you're in a rush. Right. And your brain won't register it as you having eaten something. Mm-hmm. You actually need to have the entire experience of seeing your food, touching your food tasting your food and chewing it properly these are all part of the digestive process to make sure that you're releasing the right enzymes yes yeah Yeah. and I think that's um critical for people to just have in their awareness Mm -hmm. one thing I'm really intentionally trying to shift in my own life is uh having boundaries around food and that means 
um, just being there with the food, <laughs> like not having boundaries with food, but having boundaries around food. Yeah. You know, like that's the difference because, totally. you know, sometimes I live alone right now. So it's like, sometimes if I'm not connected with myself or I'm rushing, like straight up, I will eat while I'm on my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you got to stop girl. Yeah. Like that. Cause I'm not breathing during that time. So that's a big, that's a big thing I'm shifting. Like I, I want to have more in people, person in the flesh meals with other people. I want to share meals. I want to make meals. I want to create meals. I want to, and even if I'm eating by myself, I want to have like rituals sure. around that and have boundaries around it, not with it necessarily. And I love to have a big umbrella of like, I'm plant-based, right? But I like to be like, you can eat whatever you want on Mm plant-based. Like, and I, for me, that really works for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Gives me a lot of freedom, allows me to have a lot of creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's me ask myself, what do you feel like eating? Which I think is another way to reconnect around Mm -hmm. food. Yeah, well, and you touched on it, that intuitive aspect. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most important parts mm-hmm. of uh eating especially mm-hmm. because like we're told to eat a certain way or this is a healthy food and this isn't and that changes mm-hmm. and some of that is actually dictated by organizations that are just trying to sell you <laughs> something like dairy mm-hmm. um things like that mm-hmm. or like the nutritional whack yeah it's whack <laughs> exactly and it take it puts us out of touch with foods that are actually good or not good for us, things that are resonating or not resonating. You know, like if you're going to look at kale and hate the food, then don't eat it. If you are going to enjoy eating it, then it's going to be a healthy experience for you. Right. And we have to reconnect with that intuitive aspect of our food consumption. Because it also, you know, from a nervous system perspective, and you even just talked about the phone, Mm -hmm. like that, light coming from your phone that's stimulating the opposite part of the nervous system that you want to be engaging with when you're eating eating. yeah yeah to digest to digest exactly yeah okay so there was a question before we start talking for like two freaking hours because it's already been an hour and a half (laughs) we're like three hours in and then people are gonna be like oh my god i have to listen to this episode over like seven days um Okay, if someone has gut issues, because mm-hmm. that was a big question that came through on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are actually? Let's just use like me for an as an example. Um, I feel like I t- I don't tend to constipation. I tend to diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, let's say someone has a gut that has issues, whether that's diarrhea or the constipation or there's just like undigested food in their stools or um another question that was one of the questions another question was around like just getting a lot of bloating and cramping like just basically a bunch of gut issues questions Mm -hmm. where do you start Uh, (laughs) so i mean i would start with the nervous system Mm -hmm. um and with holistic nutrition it's you know multifaceted always it's a systems approach that you have to take so always making sure that you're relaxed relaxation is probably the number one thing at all times not just when you're eating at all times it's real hard it's not easy Um, (laughs) so i'm gonna have to get a new life got it yeah exactly um but you know like it's this process of like training yourself to remain in a relaxed state yeah so 
making sure you're chewing. If you have undigested food in your stool, you're either having a problem with the actual digestive process or you're not chewing your food. So if you're not chewing your food, try blending more food, eat more soups and smoothies. That's what like the benefit of having like a green smoothie or something like that mm -hmm. is you're getting lots of nutrients that are already pre-digested. Mm -hmm. um, but with most digestive issues, you're mostly dealing with your nervous system. Um, so like bloat and stuff like that. Slow, yeah, I mean, slow down and observe yourself while you're eating eat only until you're full mm -hmm. and you know a lot of um like in traditional chinese medicine and in ayurveda talks about leaving the stomach two-thirds or stopping when your stomach is two-thirds full so leaving it a third empty with every meal oh i've not mm -hmm. heard this yeah so you know you think about your hands mm -hmm. your stomach is the size of your hands <laughs> cupped so that's I not there's a, a seed on my hand yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm vegan. <laughs> there's seeds everywhere. Um, so this is the size of your stomach, two two hands cupped. Nice. So if you're eating more than that, or you're not leaving enough space in there, then it's going to cause some like backup. Um, you're talking about like food or food combining earlier. Mm -hmm. If you eat something that's going to start a fermentation process, but you still haven't digested the, the first things that you ate, then you're probably going to have a little bit of bloating. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so something like eating fruit afterwards, because fruit is quickly digested. Right. So it'll start to ferment quite quickly. And if you have stuff like if you ate you know, potatoes right before that, it's going to take longer for those potatoes to get digested. Right. So the idea would be to eat the fruit first. Right. Um, but generally, if you're able to slow down, pay attention, once you start to feel full, then you stop. Usually there's a point while you're eating, you start to feel like kind of energized while you're eating. That's kind of where you want to stop. You don't want to eat to the point where you're like exhausted from the meal. Uh, that means like you've gone too far kind of thing. And I forget where it is. I think it's from traditional Chinese medicine. There's this idea of like you burp twice. It's like small burps. And it's supposed to signal the point that you've reached. Do you burp every time? Sometimes, yeah. But they're like really small. I feel it's like, like I was having a burp all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. I'm full. It's just happened. <laughs> so, you know, it, it takes bringing a lot of awareness to your food, to your process to optimize your digestion yeah. optimizing your digestion is pretty multifaceted uh -huh. um but like the number one thing that i would recommend is slowing down from the beginning of the process when you're cooking your food if you're not cooking your food then when you're putting it on your plate making sure you have a quiet environment that you can be calm in if you're like in a stressed out environment you're gonna have your mind on a million other things always making sure that there's a little bit of a ritual around what you're eating so it's a little bit more of a sacred time and then when you come to eat you're in the right mindset you're slow. If your stomach is hurting while you're eating, you're going to stop eating. You'll come back to it another time or something like that. It's just not worth trying to shovel food in mm -hmm. when you physically and mentally cannot handle it. And I guess when you've been slow around the process, you'll be able to notice if you're just stuffing or not. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because I, I find some, I've heard friends or clients speak about this experience and, um, feeling so disconnected from them themselves that they don't even notice that they're full. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, and this is how overeating happens, that mm-hmm. we just keep putting food in, we keep shoveling it in, and like, I've definitely been there, because it's disconnected, and it's kind of comfortable to like, keep eating sometimes, mm-hmm. if you're like, I eat my emotions, mm-hmm. so if I'm feeling like sad, and I'm not in control of my awareness, mm-hmm. then I'm just going to keep putting food in, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I'm in pain, right, right, so <laughs> like, where did that happen, where did this come from, exactly, right. and you know, like, now I can confidently say, I haven't had bloating in like, seven months, it's awesome, yeah, but before that, it was like a constant battle, like mm-hmm. everything I would wear, I was like feeling tight, I, I felt like this, like, it was like I had an extra, like five, ten pounds on me all the time, and it was like bloating, Breathing deeply into your belly while you're eating, before and after, helps to eliminate that and helps you to deeply connect with your body so that you know when you're done. And when you're done, then your body, your mind switches off, Mm. or rather it turns into the parasympathetic dominance. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, yeah, you're able to like actually digest. When you're digesting, you're not going to really get bloating. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you can only digest once you have had a relaxation. Only, yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. come online. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's maybe the thing that people, even in the health world, people aren't really talking about. And we're talking about eating all the best things and having the rule of five on the plate or whatever. Like, there's so many things that I can read online, like, every single day that just bombards me with information around food. And the one thing that people aren't saying is your habits around food your nervous system health around food well and you look at your relationship with food and how you're treating how you're going to sit down and enjoy that meal and what you're looking at it thinking about that and yourself it's kind of like a microcosm yes of your relationship with the world around you. yeah so mm-hmm. it's, it says a lot what's on your plate <laughs> <All right. laughs> it really does <laughs> I love it. That's actually really, really helpful. Even for me. Awesome. Um, how are you feeling? Wonderful. Yeah? Yeah. Do you have any other things that you'd want to share with the world? <laughs> In this moment? Yeah. You know, actually, I do. Um, I think that it's important for people to understand that health is pretty relative. Okay. Yeah. Um, in medical medium, I was reading something about, uh, what's his name, Anthony? Yeah. Yeah. It talks about candida mm-hmm. um, being symptom mm-hmm. of a larger issue. Mm-hmm. And that, when I read that, was like, it kind of put off a little signal for me where I was like confirming the systems, you know, the necessity to take a systems approach to your wellness. Yeah. Because it's not just, you know, one thing. It's, yeah. it's likely a contribution of many things. Yeah. And when we limit ourselves, we're like closing ourselves off. We're disconnecting from ourselves um, so that we're essentially not able to take accountability. And that accountability process is what's really empowering. And that's mm-hmm. how we really get to like the root of who we are. Um, and we've heard that like that saying about like you know you can't really like help others if your cup isn't full kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's it's true um and I've been like watch me try yeah (laughs) watch me try but it's also like it's not sustainable it's not sustainable and how on earth can you know another person if you don't know yourself 
so that process of empowerment is so important and uh, like food is a really easy way that we have to access that you know I like how you consider it easy now yeah in your life that's amazing now. and this you know I have a lot of girlfriends who still they've been like stagnating mm-hmm. in that same spot that I used to be in and like my biggest message for people is that you can not only get through that but like anything and the key is connection Mm -hmm. with yourself and with your community um yeah I mean you you talked about like sharing meals with others Mm -hmm. and that's probably I think another way to easily optimize your eating experience eat with other people eat Mm. with your partner or if you like don't have anyone to eat with maybe facetime someone or sit quietly or whatever Mm. you need to do you can like devote your meal listen to to this podcast yeah listen to the (laughs) podcast get krishna to sit down with you (laughs) right yeah Yeah. um commune almost commune always i like that i was like commune almost commune always (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Teach me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's lovely. Thanks for being here. I mean, technically, I'm here. Thanks for being here <laughs> in my yoga room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a really lovely person, and I really enjoy how you walk your talk so much. Like everything that you've shared so far in like this 90 minutes, um, has been like has been really legit. Like, it's not something that you've not embodied the things you've shared. Even this idea of, like, connecting with yourself and connecting with your community as your friend and as someone who is in your community, I know that you actually can and have the capacity to lean on other people, too. Mm. Right? So, like, that gives me faith that you also lean on yourself and and you take care of yourself and your integrity. So, you're the real deal. Where can people find you if they want more of you, if they want to work with you, if they want to come to your classes? Yeah. Let the peeps know. <laughs> Let the people know. Okay. So I'm around the Barry community um, just outside of it a couple times a week, um, teaching both Kundalini and kind of flow type traditional classes. Mm-hmm. Um, everything I do is online on my website, trulyholisticwellness.com. And, and you are truly holistic wellness. Yeah. yeah. You are your brand. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I I feel, you know, to just go back to like the message for people is like just to embody that the holistic aspect because we're not separate from it. Mm-hmm. We need it. So mm-hmm. um that's why I chose that truly holistic because there that's it. Even if we like unconsciously deny them. We need more than one thing to support yeah. the whole. Exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. what I appreciate about like even our friendship because mm-hmm. I do feel that it's like truly holistic. <laughs> um, I'm holistic entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. Exactly. You're truly holistic wellness. <laughs> exactly. No, it's, yeah. uh, and I think about it sometimes what you have brought to this friendship mm-hmm. and just how much yeah please you tell me yeah. about myself yeah <laughs> let's have a Let's discussion like we're not yeah, ending yeah. this now no. <laughs> uh, i just yeah i think about the fact that like you do bring this truly holistic aspect to things mm-hmm. in terms of like a systems approach to relationships and to managing yourself mm-hmm. and um yeah so 
I value that basically. Mm. Yeah, thank but you. um, anyways, back to me. <laughs> <laughs> Where you can find me is on my website, trulyholisticwellness.com. Um, doing holistic nutrition in the new year. I'll like be having consultations. Consultations, exactly. I'll have some new programs. Actually, one of them is healing your relationship with food. It's a three-month nice. program. Yeah, that's brand new for the new year that I'm opening up for just a few people. So get on in if yeah. you're interested that's something to look forward to and yeah. uh other than that my class schedule and everything is online as well awesome yeah. and where do you teach in barry if there's local people listening and yeah. you want to join us in barry i'm at bliss and green yoga a few times a week that's my kundalini home in barry um and in Thornton, the Vidya Center for Yoga and Wellness, mm-hmm. a couple times a week. And uh, in Wasega Beach as well. That's Flow Yoga in Wasega. So, yeah. Awesome. And on Instagram, it's also Truly Holistic Wellness, right? Yeah, Truly Holistic Wellness. And you can also find the Women's Circles, which I highly recommend all women to check out, even if it's not my Women's Circle. Mm-hmm. There's a few going on in Barrie, um, both on the new moon. So that one's at Balance in Barrie and uh, the full moon with my dear friend Paulina. Um, yeah, that one's coming up soon too. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the pod with me. Um, if people like you, which I'm sure that they will, um, please subscribe to the show. It is the number one way. I guess if you like me as well, um, the number one way to get this podcast, to gain popularity, to make waves in the world and to get into, into the hands of more people who could benefit from being connected to themselves, to each other and to the world we live in. So make sure to subscribe. Also, as a reminder, because this episode is going to be airing in December, if you leave a review for the podcast, you do get automatically entered to win a 2019 forecast reading with me. So that's a bit of an incentive if you want to leave me some love and grow the pods um, engagement in the world. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time.